Psalm 42. Psalm 42. And we're going to just read the first two scriptures of this psalm. But my question, I just want to begin this message today with a question for you, for you to think about, for you to probe your own heart and mind. The Bible and the psalmist wrote in another place, search me, O God, see if there be any wicked way in me, try me, know my ways, know my thoughts. I want to ask this question, what is your pursuit? What is your pursuit? What are you going after in life? A lot of people, we are consumed in our day with our jobs. We're consumed because it is the thing that consumes most of our time. And beyond it consuming most of our time, it is that which provides or helps to provide the finances that we need to be able to live. We are consumed with those particular things probably more than anything else. If you have children, you are consumed with your children, you are consumed with, your pursuit is to help them along and to nurture them, to teach them to grow, to eventually, and we're, we're at a point now where we're having to work on learning to teach independence, even though we don't want to. It's, it's your pursuit becomes the things that you so often participate in life, and really take up most of your time and your energies and your emotion. When you think about family and being involved in family, it is this emotional pursuit that you're on. And yet, the psalmist wrote these words here, and it is not necessarily known as a psalm of David, but a psalm of Korah, for the sons of Korah. It may have been a psalm of David. We don't really know. It, we don't have the... Um, uh, it, it was for the musical uh, efforts in the temple, but it's not necessarily in the, the beginning of the psalm ascribed to David as we see in some of the psalms. But listen to what the psalmist said in chapter 42, Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says... As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet Him? What is the pursuit of your soul? What? is the pursuit of your soul. So often in our lives, we find that as we pursue and go after the things in life that we have to maintain, that we have to be concerned about. If you have a job, your, your part of your job is to keep your job. I remember when Sam, uh, my brother-in-law Sam, my wife's brother Sam, was going through uh, business school a number of years ago. He said that uh, one day one of his professors asked the class, what is the job of the chief executive officer of any company? And everybody had their ideas about what was the CEO's job. And every one of the answers were wrong that they gave. He said, no, the job of the CEO was to keep his job. <laughs> That's it. 
Your job, sometimes on your job, is to somehow focus enough on it, pursue it enough to make sure that when you walk into it the next day, you still got it. That is your pursuit. And yet, we come to the psalmist who says that there should be something and someone that we are pursuing above all else. In fact, he takes uh, an animal from nature to describe how the pursuit has to happen and should happen. And here's how it should happen. Pursuing God is out of instinct. Pursuing God should be an instinct and should not necessarily be one of those things that we analyze and think about and think, well, you know, should I do this or should I do that? Or, Or should I really read my Bible or should I pray or should I do any of those things? But pursuing God should be an instinct. And what do I mean by that? Well, he cites the deer as an example. He says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. So we see from the deer, we're going to get a lesson in pursuing. What it means to really, really pursue God. Now the deer is an animal, and an animal does not reason. It has instinct. It has that feeling of thirst in its body and it cries out, it needs that water. Now a a deer doesn't sit there in the middle of the field. I grew up in a land of where there are a lot of deer. It doesn't sit in the middle of the field and think about it and think, hmm, where's the best place? A deer gets thirsty and probably somehow through whatever God built into its brain is able to remember the last place it found water and on instinct it goes for water. And it goes until it reaches that place where that thirsting of its body is quenched. Now, I want you to take a lesson from that because we're not animals, but at the same time, sometimes we overanalyze what God is really trying to do in our hearts. We get dry and thirsty in our souls, and we sit around and wonder, well, what's going to satisfy this? Maybe a little extra fellowship with the brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe what I need is I need to you know, call my my brother or sister and talk to them about it. Maybe I need to do this and I need to do that. And maybe we just sit around and yet the answer is ever so clear. When you are thirsty in your soul, you need to go for the living water and do not stop until you have taken a drink. Remember Jesus at the well with the woman in Samaria on that hot, sunny day as he had passed through that land that no, no rabbis, no Jewish rabbis went through. They went around in, in the time where Jesus lived. They went around Samaria. There was a, there was a racial problem in the day. And he, they, anybody went around and all of a sudden Jesus announces to his disciples, i got to go through Samaria. And they're thinking to themselves, nobody goes through Samaria except the, the people from Samaria. 
We don't go through there. He says, I got to go through there. And he goes to the well and he's sitting there at the well. And this woman who is apparently an outcast in her town because she seems to go through husbands one after another after another. And she's coming out at the, the, the high point of the day when nobody else goes to the well for water. It seems as though she has to go at a different time so as to maybe preserve herself and she goes out to get some water and draw the water Jesus strikes up the conversation and it all leads to this he says listen I'm going to give you and I can give you water that you drink of that you will never thirst again and she's thinking to herself is there is this some kind of special water now what what's up with this water is this the water no is there some other water that i can get but the, what what he was telling her was is that he can come into her heart and her life and bring a water that she doesn't need to go look for anything else when you're thirsty folks you let your soul operate on instinct a lot of times we sit around and we think, well, if I fill it with this hobby or that hobby or I fill it with this particular thing that I like to do, then I'll be satisfied. And i got to tell you that there is only one thing that can satisfy your soul. We say it, but sometimes, and we, we say it and we want, we want to proclaim it to other people who don't know Christ. And yet on the inside of us, from time to time, that instinct pulls us and God is saying, come into my presence. Come into where I am. Come and be with me. Come and spend time with me. And we find every excuse under the sun to say, I don't think so. I think it's this that I need. I think it's that that I need instead of pursuing the only thing that will really satisfy our souls. I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, today the, the, the pursuit of this animal that has no ability to reason stands as a testimony about how important it is for us to follow that same kind of spiritual instinct. When our souls are thirsty, there is only one that can satisfy it. Listen, today if in your soul you feel a little dry, you feel a little withdrawn from the presence of God, and I'm not talking about on a Sunday morning, because quite frankly, some of you are at the point in your life where you know you've got to show up. You know you have to. You say, Pastor, what kind of thing is that to say? I could stay home if I want. No, no, no. I'm not suggesting that you don't have a choice, but deep down on the inside, you know you need to get to the house of God. You know you don't have a choice because there are times in the presence of the Lord that God can do great and mighty things in our lives. Listen, I came in this morning and feeling a little bit tired, a little bit weary from the week. And as we got through in the middle part of this worship service, I realized something. I realized that as a body, we weren't pressing in and praise and worship. We were singing. We were doing that. We were participating, but we weren't pressing in and praise and worship. And what God requires of us and is asking of us is for us to just operate on instinct and come into his presence and say, God, I need you more than anything else. We get that lesson of pursuing. The animal knows sometimes better than we do what needs to happen. It's thirsty, it goes for water. It's simple. It's not to be overanalyzed. It can't be in an animal. But for us, spiritually speaking, we sometimes have the habit 
of talking ourselves out of the only thing that will satisfy our hearts and our souls. I, I spoke recently just about how sometimes we're so pensive and we, uh, there's this, this restlessness and yet we need to, and it's like Augustine once said, he says, my soul is restless until I find rest in you. There is no other way, brothers and sisters, for us to be find that rest in God and, and, until we come into his presence, until we really get a hold of him and say, God, I need you to quench the thirst of my soul. We've got to operate on instinct and go for his presence. So the question is, what keeps us from his presence? What keeps us? Well, there are some lies that often hinder our pursuit. And the first lie is this, that God isn't interested in me anymore because I've failed him too much. Just curious, how many have failed God? Come on, let's be honest. Oh, haven't we all? And you know what the devil likes to do? He likes to play on that. He likes to come up alongside of you and say, you've just failed God way too much for him to be interested in you. You have messed up so badly that God is no longer really interested in you. So why bother, why bother taking time to pray? Why bother going to the Bible? You know, it's just going to condemn you. You know, there are times where we open the Scriptures. Have you ever done this? You open the Bible, and you just fall on the wrong verse. <laughs> and I don't mean it's wrong, as you know, but it's just, it just isn't what you wanted to hear. And sometimes, I could be wrong, could be mistaken, but it wasn't the wrong verse. That sometimes what we need is we need a little, you know, like what mama used to do every now and then, a little smack upside the head. Straighten us around. And then you quickly run to, wait a minute, what was that psalm I read that was so good, that was so encouraging, so uplifting? And, you know, and instead you've, you fell in, you know, into Ezekiel somewhere, and, and he just, you know, Ezekiel's just letting the people of Israel have it. But every now and then, we need both things. You see, we have to have listening ears to hear what God has to say. But God, look, you read those scriptures in Jeremiah and Isaiah and Joel and all the, the prophets when they spoke out against the sin of the people of Israel. Can I just encourage you with this? That even when they were speaking against what the people of Israel were doing, it was a sign that God was interested in them. You see, a, a sign that God is no longer interested is when God ceases to speak. And you know what? Wonderfully, thankfully, mercifully, He has not ceased to speak. So take the good with the bad, but the enemy comes along and says, you failed God so much. And see, see that verse of Scripture? showing you your sin and how rotten you've been, that's just proof. He's just trying to let you know that that's it. He's done. No, it's not. Even the, the difficult verses in Scripture can be proof that God loves you. He's interested. He cares. He wants to minister to you and help you and lift you up. We buy into the lie. God's no longer interested because I've failed Him too much. You cannot fail God too much. God knows that you are but dust. 
He remembers that about you. And where sin abounds, we go back to Romans when we say this, and Paul writes it, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Now, there is another lie, a second lie. The lie is this. Well, pursue things that have immediate satisfaction, which is to assume, or it kind of begs the question, can't God give immediate satisfaction? When you go into his presence, when you begin to pray and you begin to sense his spirit and you begin to sense him moving upon your heart and touching you and speaking your mind, is that not instant satisfaction that what God has done? But wait a minute, i got to do something that, you know, it's work. Yeah, prayer is work. There's no doubt about it. There is no other way around it. You have to work at it. But I want you to know the enemy oftentimes paints the picture that the fulfilling the desires of the flesh will not only be instantly more rewarding, but that you will be happier in life. That is a lie. It's a lie from hell because the Bible says that the pleasures of sin last only a short time, but the wages of sin are for all of eternity. So we have to pursue God and say, God, I'm going to go after you. I'm not going to go after those things that supply that instant gratification, that satisfaction. I'm going to go after you because you're able to supply the deepest need of my soul and my heart. I'm able to reach out to you and get a hold of you and be satisfied deep down on the inside. There is another lie, a third lie. There are four that I want to tell you about. The third one is this. You're just going to fall again after you get so close to God. Don't bother getting close to God because you're just going to fall again. This is also a lie that stops people from going after God before they even try. If you're human, you will fail. You will fall. If you are human, you will, from time to time, fall and and you will have to come back to God and say, God, I, I repent. I gave in to sin. I gave in to my flesh. I gave in to whatever. I, I need your help. But listen, don't buy into the lie that says, don't bother pursuing God because you're just going to fail again. No, you go after God with everything that is within your heart. You go after Him with all that you have within you because He is the only one who can restore your soul. He's the only one who can supply and quench the thirst of your heart and your soul. There is a fourth one, and it says this, you'll never be able to reach God. You'll never be able to reach God. Well, the enemy tries to make you think that somehow you're on some kind of an aimless chase that will never, ever, ever be reached in terms of its goal. You begin to think, even if I begin to try and get close to God, I won't be able to reach Him. But I want you to listen to the words of Jeremiah. We mentioned Jeremiah as having some of those scriptures where it is that, you know, we sometimes feel a little condemned by because he was speaking out against the nation of Judah and their sin. But listen to what Jeremiah says. In fact, turn over there. Jeremiah 29, verses 13 and 14. Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14. The Bible says this, you will seek me and find me 
when you seek me with all your heart. Listen to the promise of God. I will be found by you. Do you realize who this was spoken to? This was spoken to a rebellious, sinful nation who had gone so far and so deep into idolatry that they, they allowed for temple prostitution, they allowed for foreign idols to be brought into the temple of God, they sacrificed their own children in the fire of Ben-Hinnom. They, they allowed those things to take place. This was not just, as I've mentioned in the past, them bowing down to some wooden object. This was intense idolatry. They had gone all the way into the superstition, into the craziness of idolatry. And this is what God had to say to that people. You will seek me. And find me when you seek me with all your heart. He says, I will be found by you. That doesn't sound like a wild goose chase to me, does it? It doesn't sound like the carrot that's always dangling in front of the donkey's nose, but the donkey doesn't realize that it's a stick and a string that has it out there, and he is never, ever, ever going to reach that carrot until finally the master has mercy and takes it off the string and gives it to him. That's not what God does to us. God does not dangle it in front of us and say, you'll never be able to reach me, but come on. Come on, he doesn't play those kinds of games. But he says, you will seek me. You will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you. See, part of the problem here is that we don't like the work. See, because Jeremiah says, when you seek me with all your heart, that takes work. That takes effort. That takes setting aside some things and saying, Lord, I'm just going to take this moment and this time to be with you. I, I got to tell you, there, you can pray wherever you are. Those of you who drive to work, if you have a car and you drive to work, you have a bubble of privacy. Your closet can become your car. That space, you say, Pastor, I don't take the car, I take the bus. I take the train. On that train, you can pray. You can close your eyes. People think you're sleeping. Close your eyes. And you can communicate. Say, but don't I have to say words out loud? No, you don't have to say words out loud. Does not God, doesn't God know the very thoughts of your head, what's going through your mind right now? Doesn't he know the thoughts of your mind and your heart? You can, you say, but I'm just thinking it. I'm not praying it. No, when your heart is attuned to God and you can begin to pray and just talk to God, I got to tell you, you can, you can tell him anything in that sacred moment. If you're walking down the street, you can be talking to God. If you're in your home, if you're, you know, you take some time out, take a break, go for a walk out of the street. You can pray and you can call on God. Listen, brothers and sisters, don't fall for the lie that says that you can't do that because there's just no time. No, 
There's time for us to do that. We have time to meet with God. We need to make time to meet with God because if we don't, we're not going to know God in the way that He desires us to know Him. And I got to tell you, the deer has more sense sometimes than we do because it knows on instinct when it's thirsty, it runs to water. When we're thirsty, we've got to run to the Master. There's nobody else that's going to satisfy it for you. There is nothing else that's going to heal it, heal your life. There's nothing else that's going to come in and help you. It is God and God alone. We've got to run for Him. There's a second thing I want you to see about pursuing God, and it is this. We've got to pursue Him with intensity. Pursue Him out of instinct, and then pursue Him with intensity. Verse 2 says this of Psalm 42. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Have you ever tried to find something of great value that you lost? You know, we are, we are bound to keys in our life, aren't we? You need a key for everything. And God forbid you lose your keys. It's a terrible feeling because that is your, it gets you into the places that mean the most to you. But you know, maybe it's a piece of jewelry that means a lot. Maybe it's, you know, some other thing. You, it, it means something to you. And you've lost it before. The last thing that you do, at least I, I can imagine that you do, is given the value that it holds to you, that you stand somewhere in the middle of your house, look down the hall, you can see into your, bed, into your bedroom, look in the bedroom, look in the kitchen, look, can't find it. Oh, poor me. Is that how you look for it? No. You're on the phone. I mean, you're thinking of the last place. You're tearing the house apart. You're opening, you're going to places that you wouldn't normally even take this particular thing, whatever it might be. And if you've got kids, anything can happen. Trust me, it can end up anywhere. But if you, you, it go, you're tearing the place apart. You're, you know, you're looking under the couch. Kids are always saying, you know, I can't find this. I can't find this. My first response to my girls is, have you looked under the couch? Because invariably, you look under the couch, you'll find all kinds of stuff. You look under the couch, yeah. You know how they look under the couch? They do this. Now, we've got a, you know, the, the slip cover hangs down, touches the floor, and literally, they look, at, they don't pick it up. They look like this. Yes, I looked under the couch. I go to the couch, I pick up the slip cover, and I look, and, and I pull it out, and I say, here it is, <laughs> with a great grin on my face. We look that way. We don't look that way when it comes to our valuable things, when those things, we don't, we have intensity. There is this intense kind of effort that is made to go look for that particular thing that you have lost. You don't put a half-hearted, lazy effort into looking for that thing. No, you don't. You go at it. You rip that place apart until you found it, and it is exactly right where you left it, usually. Isn't that amazing? 
can't remember where you put it, but it is where you put it the last time you had it. You have intensity. You, you want that thing back, whatever it is. If it's as important as the keys to your house or your car or whatever it might be, you go and you find it. The intensity of the writer is shown in the progression of the way he expresses his desire. Listen to this. First, he recognized who he needed. In verse 1, it says that his soul pants for you, O God. My soul pants for you, O God. He first recognized who he needed. His direction was focused and set on nothing else but God. We've already been talking about this, and I'm not going to belabor this point, but some recognize their need for God, but they have hearts that are set in other directions. I know I need God, but... I don't know if you've ever talked to anybody who, you know, they're, they're out in the world, they're in sin, they don't know Jesus as their Savior, and they say, I know I need God, but then it's followed by this big but. But this... I have an excuse, but I have another excuse, but I've got another excuse. And what about all the hypocrites? And what about these religions? And what about that? And there's all, there are all kinds of things. Their life's a mess, but yet they won't give in. They recognize who they need, but there's not that intensity that says, I need help, and I'm going to go for help. It's frustrating with people who deal with addictions. They know they need help but are unwilling to take that step forward to get that help. You, will, you find anybody who works with an addict and they will tell you that it is one of the greatest frustrations of their own lives. Some of them former addicts themselves. They know what it takes to come out of that addiction. They know the effort and the intensity that has to be made. And brothers and sisters, i got to tell you that we've got to pursue God with everything that is within us. We've got to recognize who we need today. We need Him. You don't need anything else. You need Him. I believe that's why we need to see the intensity of the pursuit. There was nothing else that the writer wanted but God. And a lot of times we come to God and we say, God, here's what I need. I need this, 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 and this. And God, you know, kind of looks at the list and nowhere on the list is He mentioned. The Bible says that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Not the things that He can give you. See, the things that He can give you follow. They come after. They come later. If you're not interested in God, don't even for a minute think that, and be presumptuous enough to think that God is interested in blessing your life. He wants to be found by you. And that takes intensity. It takes effort. We've got to recognize He's the one that we need. Not only that, the psalmist recognized what was needed. The word living here. This, he says, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. Thirst is more intense than hunger. You can live a fairly long time without food, but a whole lot less time without water. 
Thirst is vitally important to keep you alive. You can live for a few weeks without that food, but you can only live a few days without water. So the psalmist shows us the highest form of desire and craving is placed in the direction of God. He says, my soul is thirst for the living God. We need that life. Jesus said these words in John chapter 7 and verse 38. He said, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures, Scripture has said, streams of water will flow from within him. Not only did Jesus promise that we would have living water to satisfy us, but that living water would flow from within us to bless others. Brothers and sisters, the intensity is shown by recognizing what is needed. We need that living water. We need to thirst for God, the living God, the one who will bring life and help and strength to you at every moment of the day, at every time where you are faced with struggles and difficulties. The living God will be there to help you. He recognized how badly he needed the living God. He saw what was needed. The last thing that he saw was that he recognized how this need was obtained. This is vitally important. Verse 2, he asked this question. Where can I go and meet with God? Say, I'd like to, you know, find a book that would really encourage me. I'd like to find a good, you know, how-to book. There's so many how-to books on the market. And I started, not, at, not this, yeah, I guess it, it really is. A book, uh, a number of, I would say, years ago. I haven't finished it. Because I read a chapter, and I put it down, and I say, Lord, Really? I talked to my brother recently. I won't say what the title of the book is because hopefully one day I will finish it and I will agree with the author. For the most part, I agree with him. And at other times, I just think. But I talked to my oldest brother about it, and he has a, a, a retired pastor in his church in Maine. Uh, his wife is originally from our home church, and so they retired back up in Maine. Uh, I'd retire much further away if I were him, but that's his choice. His, his family's there. Her family's there. But... He retired, and he, my brother was talking to him about this particular author. And the brothers, you know, he was in ministry a long time, pastor of a great church in Pennsylvania for many, many years. And he said, you know, if I did things the way that this guy did, he said, I, uh, or he said, he said this, he, he said, I, I found a long time ago as I started reading his books that I could never do it the way that he did it that I could never do the things that he did. And this brother was in a, a great church, a successful church, by at least man's standards, a successful place. He said, I couldn't do it the way that he did it. If you begin to think that there's going to be somebody who's going to tell you how it is that you can really get a hold of God, then we've missed the point, folks. The Bible already tells us how to do it. It already gives us the proper prescription for what it is that we should do and how we should get to know God. It's so simple. The psalmist says, where can I go and meet with God? That ought to be the question of your soul, of your heart on a daily basis. Where can I go and meet with God? It can only happen as we meet with God. The only 
way this pursuit can really be satisfied is through meeting with him. It's not just on Sunday. It's not just in a prayer meeting on Tuesday night. It's not just those moments. It is the time where you say, Lord, I'm going to run and I'm going to meet with you. You see, the wonderful thing in this age of the New Testament and the age of grace is that the curtain has been torn to the most holy place. When Jesus died on the cross, there was this wonderful thing that took place in the temple that day. And the Bible says that the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place was torn in two from top to bottom. The temple was not a short building, not a small building, and the veil was a terribly thick, thick fabric, something that had been woven together. No ordinary man would have been able to tear this veil apart, and especially from top to bottom. When Jesus died on the cross, he was saying, you can now come into my presence, and you can meet with me at any time you want to. What does the writer of Hebrews say in Hebrews 4? He tells us that we can have mercy and grace to boldly approach the throne of grace, to find help in the time of need. Brothers and sisters, you can come into the presence of the Lord. He recognized how it was obtained. It's not obtained by flipping on the radio or some Christian television program. No, that's not going to do it. It's going to be when you decide for you to take time with God to meet with Him. That's the pursuit, brothers and sisters, that we need to be on today. We need to go after God with all of our hearts. Let that instinct arise when you sense that dryness of your soul. Say, but pastor, how do I make sure I don't even get to that dry place? Ah, that's a wonderful question. I'm glad you asked. You do it by this, simply going to meet with God on a regular basis. And don't let the dryness come. Don't let that desert experience happen. But come to God on a regular basis and say, Lord, fill me once again with your power. Fill me with your spirit. Quench the thirsting of my soul. Lord, come into my heart. Yesterday's blessing, brothers and sisters, is wonderful. But beyond that, we need something fresh and something new for today. Don't go on last week's service. Don't go on the service, a service from 10 years ago. You go on what God wants to do for you right here and now. Where can I go and meet with God? Can we stand together right now? And I want us to do something right now together as a congregation before we leave this building. I want everybody, as best you can, to make your way to the altar right now. And we're going to pray and ask God to help us whether it is that we need to renew our commitment to seeking God and pursuing God, or maybe it is that we have been distracted by things, things that rob us of seeking God, whatever it might be. But right now, I want us just to come together and say, God, together, we are going to learn to go after you. We're going to seek after you. We're going to recommit our all to go after you with everything that is within us right now. Let's just pray together. You just call on the name of the Lord right now. Say, God, I'm committing my all to seeking you, to going after you, O oh God. Lord, I don't want anything to get in the way. I don't want anything, O oh God, to move and, and be a hindrance in my life. But I want your Holy Spirit to come in a mighty way and pour in that blessing in my life that I would sense your presence and know your presence, that I would know you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for your people right now as we have come just together at this altar, Lord.
Lord, just to take a moment and recommit ourselves to you, to recommit ourselves to that pursuit that is so vital and so important for our lives as believers. God, we want to learn from that deer that when it's thirsty, it goes after water. And that tireless effort, that tireless search until finally its, its body is quenched, Lord. We want that same thing for our spirit. The Lord God, when we sense that calling of your, your, your spirit to us, we want to move into your presence, oh God. Lord, in the name of Jesus. I pray right now by the power of the Spirit, Lord, that you would lift up your people, that you would encourage them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, I pray that their pursuit would be of you today. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that they would not allow any distractions to keep them from you, O oh God. Lord, we don't want to allow anything to get in the way. And God, we want to know you as never before. Lord, in the name of Jesus, may we go after you, O oh God, with all our heart, our soul, and our mind, O oh God. We need your touch and your power in our lives. So, Lord, use us for your glory. Use us, O oh God, for your mighty power. Lord, we need you today. Lord, we need you now, O oh God, as never before. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would make us one in our hunger and our thirsting after you. Lord, in the name of Almighty God, we love you. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We magnify your name. Lord, I pray right now by the power of your word that you would help us, Lord, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of you. Help us, Lord, I pray, to realize that you desire good things for your people, that you desire to bless your people. But God, we've got to get it straight and get it right. We've got to go after you. And Lord, then we will receive what it is that you have for us. Lord, we love you today. God, I thank you for this body of believers. I thank you for this congregation. I pray that you would cause us to grow. Cause us to grow spiritually. But Lord, also cause us to grow in numbers. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would do a mighty work on Devon Avenue, Lord. That, Lord God, you would do a mighty thing, Lord, that is beyond our comprehension, beyond what we could ever know or ever think, oh God. In the name of Jesus, have your way. We love you. God, we worship you. We thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. And God, we're going to give you the glory together in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said together, amen.